The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in association with Her Game 2. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Incredibly happy to say that joining us today we have football reporter for the Evening Standard, Dom Smith. Hello Dom, how are you? Good morning, yeah very well, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Finally just about dried out after last night. It's been a busy few days of international football and on Thursday, England took on Brazil at Finalissima. And yeah, it was it was an entertaining game in the end. Brazil equalised in stoppage time through Andressa Alves to cancel out Ella Toon's opener in the first half. Mary Oates was brilliant in the shootout and she definitely was one of the heroes in the fixture. But Chloe Kelly took all the praise by converting the winning spot kick. I caught up with Kira Walsh after the game and she gave me her thoughts on the fixture. So it went to penalties at the end of the game today. Do you think it was a positive thing for England that you were pushed to that, even though you eventually were able to get the win? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we've not faced that before and we're going into a World Cup where that could possibly happen. So, yeah, I think it was a good test for us. And obviously we've got improvements to make in the second half of the game going into the World Cup. But we'd rather that now than when we get there. It's about being ready in July, August, not now. So, yeah, it's a good test for us today. On the other end, though, on Tuesday evening on a cold, wet and windy Brentford, Australia ended England's unbeaten run, which had stretched to 30 games. Sam Kerr latched onto a loose header from captain Leah Williamson to smartly put the Matildas ahead. And then Charlotte Grant's header in the second half deflected off Williamson to put them 2-0 up. After the game, I caught up with Australia and West Ham's goalkeeper Mackenzie Arnold and England's Rachel Daly. This is what they had to say. Going away and learning and building from, from this fixture today, if you look back at it, will you be focusing more on kind of like the tactical aspects of, of the game or is it kind of going back to basics and seeing practically what went wrong? Yeah, like I said then, I think we just got to break it down and pick the bones out of it. And, you know, we need to look at where we went wrong and what we can do better. Um, you know, it's it's a tough one to take and it's it's fresh, it's raw. Um, we haven't discussed it enough in depth yet, but Serena and the team, I know we'll, we'll absolutely bar it down and, and really figure out where it went, where we went wrong and the things we fell short on. But again, a lesson, a lesson that we need to learn and um, something that we'll definitely, definitely learn from and move on for the World Cup. And are you excited for that run up to the World Cup? Yeah, of course it's exciting. Um, there's plenty of amazing opposition. It's, it's going to be different from the Euros. Um, you know, it's a completely different competition now. And, yeah, it's an exciting place to be. And, you know, the girls are in a good place. And, yeah, it's, we've got a, a massive array of talent to choose from. What do you think uh, is the Australians team's best attribute? And how do you find, how did you use that in England's, the game against England today? Um, I think we're a very, very fast team. We're very um, high-pressing. Um, that's, that's our identity, and we want to we want to live by that. Um, and I think you saw that with Sam and Mary up front, um, you know, forcing the mistakes um, in the back line, and we took our chances from that. So, so yeah. You've been playing well, sorry, for club and country now. What would you put your good form down to? Um, I think maybe a bit of self-confidence. I think I just had to get into the rhythm. Um, I hadn't played, you know, many national team games before the last tournament. So I think getting those three games and getting consistent game time as well at West Ham um, has really helped my confidence and hopefully I can just take that forward into the World Cup. When speaking about these fixtures before the event, I kind of thought the Lionesses probably had a loss in them somewhere between these two games. But it is, as we can say, quite a rare event that the Lionesses do suffer defeat. Dom, where do you think that it went wrong, especially in that Australia game? 
Well, I didn't think that England were particularly impressive against Brazil either. Um, they, they certainly have moments and, and playing at Wembley with 83,000 fans behind them, there's no doubt about it that it did spur them on. Um, certainly players like Lauren James and uh, Chloe Kelly seemed buoyed by that and they were getting in behind Brazil. But equally, England looked really quite um, kind of uh, attack, uh, attackable, basically. I, I felt like d defensively they, they, they didn't learn against, against Brazil. They just couldn't clear their lines. They were they consistently played out from the back. And in the end, I think Brazil got what, what most people felt was a deserved equaliser. Um, against Australia, there was all of the defensive kind of issues and England con continuing to play out the back, but without any of the attacking Vim and Verve that actually got them a goal um, against Brazil. And of course, they didn't score against Australia um, in, at a very windswept Brentford, you have to say. But that's no excuse because Australia certainly aren't used to this weather and uh, and they've turned England over. I mean, look, Wiegmann's uh, tenure has been an incredible one. I, th I think sometimes um, we kind of normalise what, what isn't normal. I think we, we do that with Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. We kind of... Um, re react as if it's completely normal but what they do week in week out is incredible for, for years and, and I think that's the same with Wiegmann uh, England um, but yeah you, you're right they did have a defeat in them no team is infallible and um, I think the most surprising thing is not necessarily the defeat but the manner of it England looked so limp and, and so they didn't look like they they wanted to or, 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 were, or were ever going to actually break down the Australian defence. It, it didn't feel like they had many ideas. They, they always seemed so fast in possession, so so much better and, and, and more astute than their opponents, England. And, and that just wasn't the case yesterday. Yeah, it was tactically quite poor, I think. Um, and I don't want to sound too critical when I'm saying this, because as you said, this is framed in the in the fact that they won 30 games in a row. But I think especially the second half against Brazil um, and for pretty much the entire game um, during the Australia fixture, they couldn't deal with the high press. Um, Brazil in the second half of Finalissima came out with an incredibly high press that put that put pressure um, on, on the defenders. It, uh, there's a little bit of an element of the fact that there is a makeshift defence there with with the big miss of Millie Bright. But even though Serena says has said that she will be she is in she will likely be there for the World Cup. It's it's still worrying to see when one only one player is out the the big difference that made. They couldn't deal with the high press because they still like still like focused on staying uh, playing out from the back. And also in the Australia game as well, there's a lot to say about about the pitch and about and about the rain, but it's how you adapt to conditions like that. Continually, a centre-back pairing of Esme Morgan and Leah Williamson, they were focusing on playing out from the back, playing short, fast passes. But when the pitch is boggy and it's very wet, you can't do that. And I think the worrying kind of aspect of those those two kind of the second 45 minutes of the Brazil game and the 90 of the Australia game is the kind of inability to adapt from England. They kept trying to force the same thing over and over again. And I'm sure they were trying something. It's even things like I've noticed, I think England had nine corners um, throughout throughout the Australia game. And I want to say four or five of them were played as short corners. And it's almost the opposite of what you want to do in those conditions because realistically you're going to be able to move the ball further if you do push it up in the air and I know it's less controlled but realistically when you're really struggling with with the high press of Australia and you're struggling to move the ball up the pitch 
why would you why would you continue why would you continue to attempt that again but then let's step back and say realistically it, it was a friendly and the friendlies are there to try try things out on it's not tournament football but I think I was just very worried at their lack of ability to be able to kind of just just change just change and, and adapt because we saw that kind of so well as I throw it back to the Euros the, the Spain game bringing Alex Greenwood on um, in the 80 something minute changing to a back three and then like overloading the attack I really don't feel like either of the performances gave me any kind of hope or confidence that that would be something that would be able to to be replaced again but the the team that we're looking at now even though we have a lot of the same type of players that did play in that in that Euros the lack of Fran Kirby the change of position for Rachel Daly I think it's kind of it's it's telling that we don't we don't really have the same squad anymore, so we can't just rest on our laurels. It's the kind of the classic cliche of the game being a good test for the lionesses against strong opponents, yada yada, especially with a makeshift backline, which they may need to rely on if Millie Bright doesn't return for the summer. But what do you think, Dom, that are their kind of key takeaways for this game? Well, I thought it was interesting that Ella Toon was axed in favour um of Rachel Daly as a kind of second striker and, and I accept that Frank Kirby's been injured this uh, this month and so maybe she would have been a like-for-like like swap if um, or indeed would have been starting perhaps um, if she'd been here but I, I actually do think that Ella Toon she played pretty poorly last night but I, I do think that she is England's best option in the number 10 role um, or certainly if England play a 4-3-3 then, then as the other number 8 alongside Georgia Stanway um, I, I don't think that um, Frank Kirby and Elton are particularly similar players, that they're only similar in the sense that they're fighting for the same one spot. Um, but I think that Elton offers a little bit more at the moment and I would, I, would keep, I, I would keep faith with her even though she had a difficult night. I think that definitely these games expose that England have got a strong defence when everyone's fit and when a, even one of their, main, uh, of their main defenders gets injured, they've, they've got a bit of a problem. Um, I think, you know, it's a compliment to Alex Greenwood and perhaps an indictment of England's options in defence that Alex Greenwood is both England's best left-back and their third-best centre-back. Um, you know, I, I don't think any of the options but below um, Leah Williamson and Millie Bright are, are you know, any, anywhere near as... Um, and Greenwood are, are anywhere near as good as, as those three. And, and actually, I think even within that, you, you'd have to argue that that Millie Bright is England's best defender and, and, and Leah Williamson is, is a bigger name, a more famous name and certainly uh, exactly the kind of character you'd want as a captain. But I think Millie Bright certainly stands out as England's most capable defender. Um, and England really need her um, this summer if they're, going to, if they're going to go far because there are a lot of teams that can do significant damage to um, all of the tournament challenges and, and, and to England as well. So um, they need to have their defence, um, their defensive options, their best options available to them. And, and if they don't have, and it would be no fault of the team's own, you know, injuries just happen in football, don't they? But if they don't have that, I think that would be a real problem for them. Um, but but I think the the, posit the positives of, of England's women's side at the moment are, are largely the positives of, of, of the men's side, which is that the, in both sides, you've got really positive and strong options in the wide areas. I mean... I thought that at the European Championships, I know she scored the winning goal um, and she, you know, took her top off, had that wonderful moment um, in front of a sold out Wembley. But I thought that Chloe Kelly was was rightly used as a substitute, if I'm completely honest, in the European Championships. I didn't think she's a, 
um, at the time that she was a, a more capable player or, or a more talented player, um, complete player than than Lauren Hemp um, or Beth Mead. Um, but I think the injury to Mead and some slight, and I, and I mean slight, struggles for form um, for Lauren Hemp have made that have meant that actually I think we could have a totally different. Um, you know, pairing out wide this summer for England. I think it could be Chloe Kelly and Lauren James, and, and I would actually welcome that because I think they've both been England's best players um, through both the Arnold Clark Cup in February and actually this international break, which of course was a bit more testing and a bit worse in terms of England's results. You know, on the face of it, they've drawn and they've lost. They've not even won a match this uh, this international break. But I think that Chloe Kelly and Lauren James come out of it with uh, a lot of credit in the bank. Yeah, definitely. I I think we it, it's key to say that obviously over the performance over the Euros last year, the kind of standout um, tactical performance from from Vigman was was bringing on of those substitutes. I saw I saw a tweet that said the problem with playing Russo and Ella Toon in your starting eleven is that you can't bring on Russo and Ella Toon in the sixty fifth minute, which is what we consistently saw time and time again to kind of make that make that tactical change like during the the fixture without having to like internally change um sh like shape with the players who were on the pitch so it's the kind of like forced adaptation um of the players by br bringing new players on and not being able to kind of do that in the same way but as, as you said having a new wing wing pairing then maybe Lauren Hemp will will be that will be that new player who who comes on and kind of attempts to change the game on a bit more of a positive note though England winning a pressure penalty shootout at Wembley will surely add to to their development. It's not something that they've they've done before in Serena Wiegmann's uh, tenure. That's going to be a positive for both Erps and the rest of the takers. What was your takeaway from that? Well, I was, I mean, as a as a journalist, I was gutted when the equaliser went in because it ruined my evening and meant that I had to <laughs> delete a lot of words. But um, as a as someone who wants England to be the, the team that lifts the World Cup trophy in um, in the summer, uh, I think it's really good for the team. And I spoke to Serena Vigman after the game about that and said, do you feel that it's better to get this out of the way now rather than, you know, in a World Cup quarterfinal and then you risk losing it because you've never practised in those situations? And of course, she understood what I meant. And she, you know, and she, and she will have thought that herself. And she agreed. And she said that you, you can never prepare for... Uh, what a tournament will look like and certainly the stadiums that England will play in this summer are not the size of a, of a Wembley or anything so actually you would you could argue that this was a as good a test as you can ever get I mean how many teams um, how many teams who can practice penalty shootouts in a real match but a real match that doesn't matter too much get to do it in front of 83,000 people I mean that is literally the that that is totally the situation that you would want to be able to practice in. That is the uh, ingredients that you'd want the the stress levels that you'd want to take a penalty shootout in. And I thought England were, you know, they looked confident. Only Ella Toon um, looked nervous before, and I don't just say that because she's the only player who missed. But she did look quite um, kind of feeble before it. And of course, it was a it was a very um, tired and uh, and weak penalty. Um, but of course, she'd you know she'd. Uh, She'd played well in the game and she'd scored as well. But the rest of the penalties, I thought, were really confident, um, really well struck. Um, and Mary Earps is, is a goalkeeper who 
I mean, I think she's really grown in the last couple of years since Serena Wiegmann has made her England's number one. I, I don't think that England have got outstanding options in goal. I, I'll be honest about that. And I think that uh, Mary Earps is not a totally outstanding goalkeeper, but what she has is presence. And the way in which she celebrated that save, I mean, she, you know, she, she, she turned her lips out as if to say, yeah, you, you might have thought that I made that mistake, but I am actually still an elite goalkeeper. And she, and she was kind of nodding her head for, for, you know, way longer than any normal person would have been nodding their head for, because to her, that's an absolutely crucial moment, not only in her career, but in her life. You know, she's just uh, been the the major reason as to why her nation has won a penalty shootout and won the inaugural women's finalissima. So lots of um, positives to take away and, and, and very few negatives. I, I think overall, it's a goal, the Brazilian the Brazilian goal in stoppage time is a goal that, that is actually... Um, a benefit of real benefit to England in the long run. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Although, like you said, I'm sure lots of journalists who were there were definitely some choice words uh, in the press box when that when that goal went in in the 90 plus three of people having to change all of their match reports. Um, mm. I also think something uh, was interesting um, in the post match. Uh, Lucy Bronze was interviewed um, and she was actually the person who was meant to take the fifth penalty, and she turned around to Chloe Kelly and said, "Look where we are." you're going to win this for us again. Um, and she let her take the fifth penalty. And it, and it kind of shows the like self-confidence that they have with within the team um, that they're able to do that. I just thought it was a, that was a good tidbit of information there. Didn't even know that. I love that. Yeah, no, it's great, isn't it? I'll, I'll send you the video afterwards. But um, yeah, no, really, really good. It's, it's good to have that self-belief within the team. And I, I looked at the players who took the penalties. And realistically, a lot of them are the like the key penalty takers for for their club. The only person who actually wasn't was Ella Toon because at club level, um, it's Katie Zellum is normally the player that takes the penalty. And I also thought that was very interesting too. But she she herself said in the in the kind of post-match that she's going to go away. Oh no, she said in the pre-match before um, the Brazil game that she's been practicing them um, in training. So I'm sure she'll have, she'll have an opportunity to redeem herself sometime soon. Although I'm hoping that none of the games um, in the in the World Cup over the summer have to go down to have to go down to penalties because <laughs> I don't know if I could deal with the stress. But Australia, on the other hand, though they're far from underdogs um, in the tournament coming up in the summer. But do you think the home crowd um, and a set of really impressive performances that they they've just put out will give them confidence ahead of the summer, even though they have players like Steph Catley and, and Caitlin Ford who remain injured? Yeah, um, they rested players on Friday and they. Um, lost one nil to Scotland, um, but I think it paid off because they, the players who they rested came in against um, England. Sam Kerr being the obvious one, and and performed well. Um, I think that obviously playing in front of a home crowd can 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 only really work to your favour. Um, I think they'll do well in the World Cup, and, I, and I'd actually say that Sam Kerr is is a good shout for the Golden Boot. I think she could fill her boots in um, in her home country, but but I'm not sure that necessarily they've got the squad depth or the the strength in all of the positions to to go all the way i think uh, ultimately that was a that was a very impressive performance by a team who who looked like they really wanted a win versus a team who let's be honest don't need another win um and they they played like it um i'm not sure it's necessarily indicative of what's to come but i certainly think australia are a decent side and i think they'll go quite far in the world cup 
talking about that World Cup. It's now 99 days until the first game. Tickets are selling very well. Um, They've recently gone on sale again. So if you're heading out to Oz or New Zealand, make sure you check out their website because you can get a few tickets left. I'm not going to ask you who you think is going to win Dom because I don't want to put you in that sticky um, situation. But realistically, who do you see as favourites for this upcoming tournament? Is it the usual suspects or is there anyone else that's an outlier um, that you think will do well? I think England are the favourites, but I'm not sure that England will actually win it. I think England are the best side at the moment. Um, But so often these... It's not the case for a league season where actually your quality would show through in the end. I think if England were playing in a in in a league system, they'd probably win. Um, but in a knockout competition, you need a little bit of luck and you need to get the, the big moments right. And they certainly did at the Euros, but they had a slightly stronger squad. I mean, only slightly, but a slightly stronger squad than they're likely to have this summer. And um, and I suspect that they may find themselves in a match quarterfinal a semi-final maybe a final where they just don't quite get the moments the big moments right and they end up losing to a side who they would feel themselves uh, within themselves to be better than um so i would say so i'm not going to give you an answer as to who it'll be but i think england go in as favorites but i suspect it won't be them yeah, I completely agree with you there. It's a tournament football where it has to, sometimes the decisions have to go your way. And also you need to be able to have the kind of mentality and mindset to be able to grind out those performances. I think the kind of key one we've seen recently um, has been Canada's winning of the Olympic, um, in the Olympics in Tokyo in 2021. Um, realistically, they were not, they are a very, very strong side, but they were not the best side um, in that tournament. Um, but they were able to grind out couple of penalty shootouts score penalties when when they were when they went their way um and it meant that they won games and they knocked and they knocked out the USA and and they and they continued to be favorites throughout the tournament so it's really interesting um to see what will happen in the world cup over the summer some breaking news though before we get into Scotland as we re- are recording this now Amy Merricks who was recently in a caretaker's uh, position at Brighton has been appointed England's under 19s manager after they bowed out of their um, European qualifiers yesterday. Um, Having been mentored by Hope Powell, she feels ready to take the next step. I'm incredibly excited. It is an absolute honour to represent my country and join the England pathway. I've had a fantastic experience at Brighton. I've been with the club for eight years, starting with the under 13s and the reserves and progressing well to the women's first team. That's been a journey in itself, but the time has come to take on a new challenge. The positive experiences and challenges that I've had along the way are going to hold me in great stead going forward. Amy, we wish you the best of luck here at the Women's Football Podcast. Now just on to Scotland quickly and the other home nations. It's been a really great week for Scotland as they beat Australia on Friday and then brushed aside Costa Rica on Tuesday. 17-year-old Emma Watson scored her first international goals after earning only her second cap. Watson handed her first start on for Friday's win over Australia, got the ball rolling after five minutes as she pounced on a Caroline Weir free kick in their game against Costa Rica. Claire Emsley helped steer in a Weir corner for the roles reverse for the third, all before the break. Watson completed the route with a stunning strike. Scotland aren't going to the World Cup, but the signs are kind of quite positive, especially when they're churning out performances like that, aren't they? Certainly, yeah. I mean... Beating Australia is a brilliant achievement, and um, 
the, the player Emma Watson who scored the two goals. I've seen the goals; they're absolutely brilliant. By the way, I mean the the, the second one is a lovely strike that kind of uh, she she captures the, the the goalkeeper out because she strikes kind of behind the defender and she and the goalkeeper's unsighted. It nestles into the side netting. Lovely goal. Um, and, and yeah, um, two massive wins. They certainly seem to be uh, building something. Maybe, maybe yeah, clearly the World Cup comes too early because they're not qualified. But um, yeah, looking up, up ahead to the European Championships, maybe they can do something there. On Emma Watson, though, she's reportedly been linked to a summer move with Manchester United. An exciting talent, definitely to have in the WSL. But at 17, do you think it's a risk that she's quite young? Or is this a risk that Manchester United are known to take? Well, I think there's nothing wrong with investing in players young. Um, but you have to acknowledge that even if they've been showing quality for another team, maybe another club side, or in this instance, her national side at senior level, um, you should never sign a young player of that age, 17, um, and expect them to uh, expect to be able to use them in your first team consistently, because it may be the case, you know, if you're buying a player with a view to the future, then you should use them with a view to the future. You you, you shouldn't kind of abuse their age and 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 just because you've got them in their squad in the squad and they've been showing promise and they're a young player that you play them week in week out because that that would be irresponsible. So, um, yeah, I mean, if a WSL club would like to sign her and Manchester United would like to sign her then 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 what's wrong with that as long as they um, use her responsibly but bearing in mind she's she's still such a young player now off to the other home nations Wales got a win and a draw out of their two games they beat Northern Ireland 4-1 in Cardiff and then they drew 1-1 away in Portugal thanks to a spectacular Rachel Rowe volley Rowe described it as that the ball fell ideally and I just put it to bed Wales are now unbeaten in their last six matches, winning four and drawing two. And they've just announced a friendly game against the USA in San Jose on the 9th of July. So a good test for them. Gemma Granger has said we all know what a challenge it will be. Producer Luke, if we fancy getting some sponsors uh, before then and you send me out, I really will not be I will not be sad about it. I could quite do with a little bit of sun over the summer. But looking ahead to the weekend, we have two FA Cup semi-finals. It's Manchester United versus Brighton on Saturday evening and then Aston Villa versus Chelsea on Sunday afternoon. Two intriguing ties, especially now that Brighton have announced former London City Lionesses boss Melissa Phillips as their new head coach. Uh, But both of these two teams have played each other recently and it was a resounding win for Manchester United and Chelsea were able to beat Aston Villa. Dom, do you think it's a formality that will be a United versus Chelsea final or do you think that there's possibility for some upset. I don't think it's a formality, but I do. I do think that will be the uh, the final. Um, I think that Brighton have you know gone through it a bit with managers this season, um, and, and therefore gone through it a bit with form fluctuating. Um, but I think that Man United were pretty pretty consistent. You, largely, you'd say that, and they've certainly got the strongest squad, and, and that's the reason why they're the favourites on paper. Um, and in terms of Villa-Chelsea, we know that Villa had a brilliant start to the season um, and Rachel Daly, and although the club have not continued that that form quite so much, um, Rachel Daly has, considered, uh, has continued scoring at her phenomenal rate um, and she would, would clearly, as well as players like Kenza Daly, would pose the biggest threat to Chelsea. But I think that Chelsea are just maybe a bit too strong um, 
uh, not just for Villa, but for most teams at the moment. So yeah, not a formality, but I, I would say Man United and, and Chelsea would be the would be the final. Just an aside for Aston Villa, I am so excited to see what they do transfer wise over the summer, um, because they have such an exciting squad, I think, and they have a real chance of kind of solidifying themselves in the in the top half of the table. That it's going to be super super interesting to see what what deals they do over the summer, especially with getting a player like Rachel Daly in um, last year and getting her to they, stay they need, too. They need to do it. Um... You're, you're absolutely right to say that, and I completely agree. And I think they need to realise that actually the players that have got them to where they have have, have reached this season and, and have caused some of their biggest results, I wouldn't say it's a large number of players. It's a, it's sadly quite a small cluster of, of really elite players. And what takes a club to the next level is by ending up having a full eleven of that. And then what yeah. happens next is you have a full bench of that and then you have a full squad of that. Um, it's very difficult to self-fulfill um, growth, but certainly if they want to be anywhere near as good as they've been this season, next season, what they need to do is um, is bring the level up in other positions to, to, to that, you know, if they can. To, we know that Rachel Daly is an, an elite kind of international player, but to that sort of level. Um, but of course, that that comes at a cost, and um, and you can't spend all your money in one summer. So. They'll have to be um, smart and shrewd and, and buy some players that maybe are, are undervalued in, in their eyes in, in the transfer market. But certainly Villa have got, I completely agree with you, Chess, like a brilliant opportunity to cement themselves as one of English football's biggest clubs. Hmm. They're also very lucky in the sense that they have a, they seem to have a very strong academy system. So you're hoping probably in about three or four years time when you have players that come through that who decide to stay at the club. Um, or that they're able to sell, um, they're able to sell and use those finances to to reinvest. Um, that they'll be kind of challenging really, really for the top. They're they're a great side and have obviously been quite a bogey team for especially Manchester City this season. Um, yeah. so it's been super super exciting to see them in the mix. But that's all we have time for today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms. And give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Thank you for coming on, Don. Where can people find you on social media or in what newspaper? <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I write about football for the Evening Standard. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Dom Smith. Always great opinions from Dom. Have a great week, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>